Welcome to Decode Your Burnout, the podcast where we crack the code on burnout based on three primary factors, your programming, environment, and personality. We also feature experts who debunk the myths about what it takes to be successful in their industry and spin those tips to fit the workplace so you can optimize the way you work. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Grossman, a psychologist turned coach, author, and burnout expert. If you're burned out and want to go from exhausted to extraordinary, book a free breakthrough session with me by going to bookachatwithsharon.com. And if you want to see how you're doing and what to focus on next, download the burnout checklist. You'll find the link in the show notes or go to bit.ly forward slash check your burnout. Now let's get started. Hello, Decode, your burnout fans, and welcome to another episode with me, Dr. Sharon Grossman. Today, I am joined by Chuck Gallagher, who is a leading speaker and consultant on ethics. Now, I know ethics is not a very sexy topic, but in the workplace, it is critical. And talking about it doesn't have to be business as usual. Featured on CNN, Fox Business, NPR, and the Wall Street Journal, Chuck shares insights from his experience so that people can make ethical choices because they want to, not because they are forced to. Chuck, I'm so excited to have you on the show today to talk about this unsexy topic, but I think something that is actually going to be pretty juicy. So welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much. I am so jazzed to be here. This is great. Yeah. And like I said, this is not something that we talk about enough, but I think is actually really critical to the conversation of burnout for two reasons. One, because sometimes when we're burned out, we might do some things that are unethical. And sometimes when the organization that we work for is being unethical, we can burn out. So we're going to come back to both of those things in just a bit. But why don't you get us started by telling us a little bit about your story and how you got into this area of ethics to begin with? Well, it was quite by accident. But actually, when you tell by the color of my hair, been on the planet for a while, back in the 80s, uh, long before you were born, I was a tax partner in a CPA firm. And that's, you know, that was my aspired career. I had testified before Congress, written articles in national magazines, taught continuing education courses in 30 states. I know you sit back and think eight hours of tax law, how titillating that must be. But that was the (laughs) job that I had. But here's the deal. And it's kind of odd because we're kind of getting into this phase right now with inflation being what it is and the talk of recession and so forth. But back in the 80s, there was a recessionary period that was taking place. And so I had too much debt. Some people would say you were robbing Peter to pay Paul, but I was shifting money around, just trying to make ends meet, charging things on credit cards and and whatever needed to be done to keep up a lifestyle. And one day my local banker called and he said, you're two months behind in your house payment, which by the way was true. But of course, I didn't want to admit that to my local banker because I'm, you know, I'm CPA. I'm supposed to be helping people with their money. So if I can't manage my own affairs, that didn't bode really well in the community. So I, I got him off the telephone, sent him on a little rabbit hunt, and I had to figure out, oh my God, what am I got to do? So I went through everything I could think of to solve the problem quickly. And there was nothing that was easy, but it occurred to me, oh, I am trustee of a client's trust. Huh. Well, you know what I could do? I could steal. No, I didn't use that word. I could borrow 
money from that trust, take it to the bank, make the illusion that it was a mistake somehow. He's satisfied. The bank is paid off, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, I'll pay it back. Well, I did that. I stole the money. People said, how did you sleep at night? Well, it was easy. I called it borrowing. I even wrote up something on a piece of paper that said I was borrowing the money, which was a crock of crap, but that's what I did. And when it came time to pay it back, I paid it. Now I convinced myself that what I was doing was okay. okay? So then I did it again and I paid it back. And now I've double convinced myself that it's okay. And I say this, and it's really important to our conversation today, that if you can rationalize your behavior. It's like wet cement. It's like rationalization holds dumb choices together. And if you can rationalize it and it kind of holds together and you can do it again and it kind of holds together, eventually that gets so hard, it becomes believable. So here's the deal. I did it once. I did it twice. Gosh, I did it a bunch of times between 1987 and 1990. That was technically creating a Ponzi scheme. I didn't know what it was called. It just seemed quite intuitive. But anytime you do stupid things like that, it eventually will collapse. The truth will eventually come out. And so that happened in 1990, which meant I lost functionally everything, my license as a CPA, my interest in the partnership, everything. And while I made restitution to the people that I had stolen money from with interest, the reality was the federal government said, no, 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 not enough. Just because you paid it back is not okay. You have too much national notoriety. So on October 2nd, 1995, I marched my happy butt into federal prison, became 11-642-058, a convicted felon, an inmate. I'm a convicted felon today. I'm probably, Dr. Sharon, one of the few convicted felons you've had on your program. So I guess <laughs> I made news for your, your audience. I will confirm that. <laughs> okay, there we have it. I, I know took you to know, my knowledge, yes. Right, you generally don't go out saying, hmm, how many convicted felons can I find? But nonetheless, when I got out of federal prison, I knew I had to make a different set of choices. So over the scope of 10 years, by 2006, a decade later, I was a senior VP of sales and marketing in a public company. And people said, oh, wait a minute, how can you be a VP in a public company and a convicted felon? Those two things don't seem to be compatible. And I made the comment, well, every choice has a consequence. Now, I made stupid choices in the 80s. By the mid-90s, I was in federal prison. I made a different set of choices in the mid-90s. By the mid-2000s, I was a senior VP of sales and marketing. And that's when I started speaking because I had enough life experience to be able to identify What motivates smart people to do dumb things? And if we can identify some of those things that cause it, can we interrupt it so they don't go down my path and end up in an orange jumpsuit and handcuffed? So that's all I've got to say about that. (laughs) That's my favorite movie. (laughs) Well, listen, I have to say that definitely this is not a story that you hear every day, but it's an important story. And as you were, talking about the mindset and the behaviors and the rationalization, I couldn't help but think about the parallel to burnout. Because sometimes when we're burned out, we also look to solve the problem quickly. And we might do some things that maybe end up biting us in the behind, if you will. So as an example, you know, you're feeling really stressed out at the end of the day, you go home and you drink that glass of wine. And the rationalization there is, I just need to relax. But then we start to have another glass of wine and another glass of wine. And then we get to a point where 
now we have an addiction on board, right? Or we've gained a bunch of weight and now it's interrupting our sleep. And the more it interrupts our sleep, the less rest we actually get. And the more exhausted we are and the more tired we are and stressed we are, and we can't focus at work, the more wine we need to drink as an example. But in addition to those kinds of poor coping mechanisms, we might also do some things that are unethical when we're burned out. Can you think of any examples for that? Well, here's the thing. First thing, everybody thinks they're ethical till they're not, okay? And and I'm going to give you an easy example, and it doesn't directly attach to burnout, but it's something everybody can connect with, okay? So if I asked the audience, if we could see people, if I said to the audience, how many of you would voluntarily choose to do something unethical? Most people would not raise their hand, right? Okay. How many of you think that voluntarily breaking the law is unethical. Now, most people would raise their hands, okay? How many of you have driven on the interstate highways in the past two weeks? Everybody raise their hand. And see, now you did it. I can see this via Zoom. Now you're smiling because you know the next question. It's like you're psychic, right? And how many of you exceeded the speed limit by five to 10? And everybody raises their hands. So it's like, okay, now let me make sure I get this. You said you wouldn't do something unethical, and you said voluntarily breaking the law is unethical, but we have become so accustomed, it is so socially acceptable that when you get in the car, you're naturally going to speed, that we break the law every day, every time we get in the car, and think nothing of it. So here's the deal. Now, if you get pulled over, if it's the end of the month, and the cop hasn't made his or her quota, you're going to get that ticket, and it's not going to be pleasant, right? So the moral of the story is, if you're going to speed, do it at the beginning of the month. That's a true statement. (laughs) (laughs) that's an insider tip right there yeah there you go insider tip but but the thing about it is it becomes so easy so now let's switch it and go back to your question so i'm at work right and i mean they keep expecting more and more for less and less and it's like productivity has to go up and i'm burned out and oh my god my kids are going to school and it's just you know they're just back in school if it was august this would be the perfect conversation cuz you know you got to do the back to school buy the supplies etc cetera, etc cetera. oh my god i'm getting off from work now i've got to cross town cross all the highways go to staples or office depot buy the supplies for the i'm just going to go to the supply cabinet and take some I'll put them back. But for God's sake, I just don't really want to have to leave here after I am so exhausted and go do. And the assumption is I'm not a thief. I'm not doing something unethical. I'm stealing from the company, but you know, I'll buy the supplies and put it back or or the not. He's got plenty of money for yeah. God's sake. Are like you- they're not going to notice. It's not They'll that big a deal. Notice. Right. Like I can so take a few pencils. Yeah. I was doing some work for a local city. I'll just share this with you. It's kind of funny. And they wanted everybody in the city, all the employees to go through ethics trainings. Okay. So one day we had all the maintenance people. Now the maintenance men, mostly men, but the maintenance folks all were given, you know, company trucks to drive to go do the things. And and one of them had been fired because he pulled up to the gas station, filled up his truck, went behind to his wife's vehicle eight seconds later and put the card in from the company and filled up hers. He was terminated. They said, you know, Chuck, you need to talk about that. So I I used the example without the name. And one guy sitting in the back of the room says, that ain't how you do it. You wait till your truck's half empty. Then you go up and fill your truck up and move yours forward and then let her pull hers up while the gas pump still works and fill it up. That's how you get over on them. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, the city manager is sitting here listening to you tell people 
how to commit fraud because somehow you think you're entitled to it. Now, I'm quite confident he didn't have a job the next day, but the mindset can easily become if I'm exhausted, if I'm not treated fairly, if things aren't going the way they should, then there are ways that I should be able to at least satisfy myself. And then it may be small, simple things that seemingly are irrelevant. But if I can do the small, simple thing once and get by with it, I might do it again and it might become bigger. And eventually one small, simple thing could completely change the perspective of your life as happened with me. Or the people that have lost their jobs. So the idea is if I think I can get away with it, or if I feel like I'm entitled to it and no one's going to notice, then I have nothing to lose by trying. But In reality, we don't know how much we have to lose until we lose it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So great examples. And I just want to add to that because you've brought the example of I'm going to take some sort of supply from my business, from my company to help me with, you know, maybe I'll save some time or whatever or some money. But in addition to that, even more common than that is stealing time. Oh, absolutely. And it's one of the things we see is people are spending a lot of time making personal calls, going on social media, answering personal emails, going on errands during the time that they're supposed to be working. You know, when they're working from home, we might say that they're attending to personal issues when they're supposed to be working and not asking for permission to go out on whatever the excursion is or what have you. So I think these are things, you know, when we think about your story, we're like, oh, I would never do that. I would never do something that would land me in prison. But we do things that are unethical all the time. We don't even think about them. Right. And you know, it's when you look at the time span of generations in a life in years past, Stealing time would be somebody had a telephone with a curly cue little thing and you actually had a receiver. So if you were on the phone and the boss was coming by, I've got to get off the line. I've got to get off the line. Okay. Later, it was you'd walk by the cubicles where somebody was and they're on Facebook, right? Well, the funny part is there's Facebook. You can see it on the screen. And it's funny to watch people how quickly they try to navigate the mouse to that upper corner to that little minus thing. So it goes away. And it's like, I've already seen it. Let's just find out what's on your feed. But the world we live in today is no, it's this. And, you know, I can be sitting here looking at the phone. And, you know, as long as somebody comes in, I turn the phone over, they never see what's taking place. But how much time is spent watching a news feed, watching Instagram, seeing what's taking place on Facebook, whatever it happens to be. And that theft is huge. And it's almost like the feeling of, well, I'm entitled. I mean, everybody, everybody does it. If you can rationalize an action, then it becomes easy to replicate that action. hundred percent. I also think that it's important to talk about why people are doing this. And it could be that you just need a mental break, but it can also be that you're burned out and you don't have the bandwidth to do the work. And what I would say, coming back to coping strategies, finding ways to spend time on things outside of work during work time because you're burned out is not the solution. You really need to deal with your burnout so you can get back to yourself so that you can be the kind of employee that you want to be, so you can have the kind of accomplishments in your career that you want to have. If there is something getting in the way of that, whether it's your energy, it's your attitude, anything, then deal with it so that you can avoid these kinds of traps. So, okay, so we've really talked about how when we're burned out, we might 
do some things that are unethical. And we've given a couple of examples, like stealing time, stealing supplies, justifying those things with the rationalizations and how that kind of can lead us to replicate those kinds of actions again and again. What about organizations who do things that are unethical and how that can actually lead somebody to become burned out? Let's talk about some examples of organizational lack of ethics. So here's the thing, and this is a really challenging area. And that is, in the world we live in today, you keep in mind, we've got functionally four generations in the workforce, okay? And every generation sees things through different lenses, okay? So it is far more practical today to think that younger generations than me would look at what does my organization support? Do I support that Am I willing to continue in the organization? And here's the thing, and it's easy to say, harder to do, but the question becomes for that human being, how important is that to me? I'm going to make it an easy example because it's been in the news. If I work for Google, most everybody would say, man, that must be a great job. Okay. But if I work for Google and Google has developed artificial intelligence that's easily able to recognize people on a street and what have you, and that information could be used in law enforcement. If I work for Google, am I okay with that's part of the ecosphere of Google, which is far bigger than just that one part? So if the one part is creating such angst for me that it's causing me stress, I might need to consider finding some place that doesn't, whose ecosphere and the work that they do is not going to be stressful for my psyche, for my being. Now, I might work for Google and say, while I don't like it, let's look at all of the positive things that we do. And I work in this particular segment, and this is mind-blowingly amazing. So do I accept I'm working in the mind-blowingly amazing AI that is going to transform healthcare in ways that will just change the world, which clearly is going to take place. I mean, right now we know that AI in many ways, is going to be a more effective method of diagnosing a problem than a doctor might be. And and we're only on the edge of it. Mm -hmm. So do I get wigged out over a piece of it that I may disagree with and throw that, you know, it's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Is that going to be something that I do? So I have to know within my being what the tolerance level is to be able to breathe and comfortably choose where I work. And if it is misaligned, leave. Well said. I think there is no right or wrong. We each have to identify what our values are and make sure that we're aligned with the values of our organization. And sometimes that means that we rationalize. And I've seen people, like I had a friend who was working for a cigarette company And he said, you know, I really don't like what they're doing, but it's really close to home and I get work-life balance. I get to spend time with my kids. And so you kind of justify it. And as long as that's okay with you, that's cool. And other people might be working for a company that they like Google, which, you know, we don't mean to single out, but it's a great example where you're like, this is a fantastic company and what a great opportunity for my career. And yet there's something that they're having me do that I don't feel comfortable doing or that goes against my morals. And so at that point, you need to ask more questions of yourself of what are you willing to, as you say, tolerate and rationalize and kind of 
keep you there. Maybe you spin it and you think about the positive sides of it. Or at some point you say, you know what, I can't keep doing this and find something else to do. We see all kinds of examples of organizations that do things that are unethical. It might be something like what you suggested, but it can also be like, you know, the way that they promote people can be really unethical. Like instead of really looking at qualifications, they're only looking at, you know, who they are trying to promote because of their relationship with that person, or there's some kickbacks or something like that. When you're like, Hey, I should have gotten that promotion because I'm way more qualified and things like that. And we hear that sort of story all the time. And so whatever it is that's going on in your organization, if you feel that it is really burning you out to be there because of all of these immoral, unethical kinds of acts, then you really have to ask some really hard questions of yourself. Because as you said, it's easy in theory to say, okay, well, then I just need to leave, but it's a lot harder to do. But I think the bottom line here is that you have to remember that you do have a choice and that you don't have to stay in any one situation because there are lots of options out there for you. You know, one of the things that this goes back to my story, but when I, when I was released from prison, obviously as a convicted felon, there are very few people that say, Oh my God, let me go hire a convict. Okay. So I got a job selling cemetery property door to door. Mom always said death and taxes, screwed up taxes, figured I'd try death. Well, actually it was the only thing that would hire me, but nonetheless, The point to it became, I recognized that for this to work for me, I had to be the best at what I did. Mm -hmm. Because if there were 50 people employed and I'm the only convicted felon and they decide they're going to lay some people off, I would be the first naturally to go. Okay. Now, here's the point to it. I became the top salesperson because I recognized that If I was the number one person selling for this organization and they were going to let some people go, it's hard, as long as I'm doing it ethically, which I was, but it's hard to say, I'm going to let my top person go. Okay. So now let me rewind that to today. Wow. Rewind that. That's a baby boomer statement. That's cassette tapes. Rewind. Okay. You get the idea anyway, (laughs) but but let me go back to today and you hear the words quietly quitting. Yes. And, And it's like, well, what is quietly quitting? Well, it means I'm just doing the basics of what I have to, I'm not going to go above and beyond. I'm just doing the basics of what I have to do. Okay. Got it. I understand. But if the time comes and somebody's promoted and you're like, well, I should have been promoted. I've been here longer than they have. And it, but you quietly have quit. You haven't done anything to set yourself apart to say, I am magnificent at what I do. And it would be impossible to miss me. Now, is it possible somebody will miss you? They might. They might look at DNI issues. They may look at other things that go beyond just one part of what you're doing. But if I'm sitting back saying I'm entitled somehow because I've been here, my resume speaks, I should have, I'm going to say to you, and again, I'll be the first to admit, maybe it's baby boomer mentality, but you do far more than they ever expect of you. And one of two things will happen. Either you will advance or you're going to figure out that somebody else somewhere says, holy crap, wow, that person is amazing. And you'll be recruited away or have easily have the opportunity to leave and they'll miss what they had. But just coasting is not going to get you anywhere dramatic. And I would add to that, that we spend more time at work than anywhere else. 
So if you're just coasting, you're kind of wasting your life away because you could be doing something where you're really passionate and you are contributing. Why would you choose to not be in a position like that, that really sets you on fire? Like, why would you just kind of sit back and take it easy and not grow? And I guess like there are people like that, but you know, I do feel like you're missing a big part of what life is about because life is really about your legacy, about meaning, about purpose. If you're not living full on, then you really are missing something. And maybe that's just a function of burnout, in which case I encourage you again to make sure you get that in check. But you know, I think there's some hard questions you need to be asking of yourself to make sure that you're not just wasting your time and your life. Like That would just be a pity. So Chuck, we've already talked about a bunch of things. I know you've got some myths that you want to debunk for us quickly. So take us through that. Okay. So sometimes people have said to me, I get calls all the time because I wrote a book called Second Chances, but I get calls all the time. And it's like, well, you know, I've made a mistake. So therefore I am a mistake. In November of 1990, when my Ponzi scheme collapsed, I knew on that particular day, I knew, God knew, that was the extent of it, that what I had put in place was collapsing. It was falling to pieces and it was going to have an impact on my family. It was going to have an impact on my partners. It was going to have an impact on the people I'd stolen money from. And and that night I felt like the easiest and best solution was suicide. Mm. However, as a guy, I'm chicken of pain. So because I was in Boise, Idaho, there was no easy, painless way to commit suicide. So that night I picked up the yellow pages. In those days it was yellow pages. Now it'd just be Google something on your phone. But I picked up the yellow pages and started calling psychiatrists, psychologists. And I got, you know, this reached office of Dr. Such and Such. Our office hours are from 8 30 a.m. to 5 30 p.m. You missed us after office hours. At the sound of the tone, leave a message and we'll be happy to give you a call tomorrow and have a nice day. Now, if you're thinking of suicide and somebody tells you to have a nice day, it'll tick you off. And I got that six times. The seventh time, actually, somebody answered the phone. I thought it was the machine, but I found out it was a person. And short story to a long story, he said something to me that was profound. And that's the reason I'm here. He made the comment. He said, son, he said, you have made a terrible mistake, but you are not a mistake. And then he repeated it. Son, you've made a terrible mistake, but you are not a mistake. And the choice you make tonight will create the life you live in the future and the legacy you leave for your two sons. Make those choices wisely. Now, that saved my life. Amazing. Now, that did not mean that coming home and having to admit I was a liar and a thief was easy peasy and nothing bad happened. That is far from the truth. It sucked. But I always had in the back of my mind, I am not a mistake. There is a reason for me being here. So when people get caught up, which is easy to do as human beings and our psyche to get caught up in, I'm a victim of circumstances. Life sucks. It's never going to be any better. How do I get out? I mean, just keep with all of the slush that you can get into of being a victim. I understand being there. I've wallowed in that. But you have a choice to become a victor because you're not a mistake. So when people say, well, you know, how did you become a senior VP in a public company? I'm not a mistake. I'm good at what I do. My The myth of, well, if you're a convicted felon, you're never going to go anywhere. That's a crock. Now, to be clear, there are consequences still today. You know, not that I care about this, but I can't own a gun. Okay. Wow. I could care less. Not relevant to me anyway. 
The one that is most relevant is I can't go to Canada. Just say it. I like Canada. Canada is a nice place. I like the Canadian people. They're really nice. But, right, everybody yeah. sent Chuck a postcard. Uh, see, I can go anywhere else in the world. Thailand, Switzerland, South America. But Canada has this thing. If you've been convicted to the United States, you can't come to Canada unless you apply for criminal rehabilitation and they have to approve you to be able to come back into Canada. So do I recognize there's still consequences? Absolutely. And that's okay. I don't mind. There's consequences. Every choice has a consequence. So it's a reminder to stay on that straight and narrow because veering off could create unintended consequences that I may not want to enjoy. But you get to choose to be a victim or a victor. And if you're a victim and you have the mentality, you can choose a different mentality. Fantastic. <clears throat> All right. So we said, if you've made a mistake, you're not a mistake. Right. You can be a victim or a victor. Yep. What's your third myth? So the third one is uh, life by nature does tend to give you second chances. Now, this is kind of going off on a bit of a tangent, perhaps, but I think all of us as human beings have a purpose, a reason for being here. We just didn't happen to you know, get born on this planet just to be one of 8 billion people. There is value that we bring in our lives. And if you make a mistake, more times than not, somehow, in ways you might not anticipate, you'll be given a new opportunity, a second chance, a, a do-over. I'm going to make this really easy and very personal. In my first marriage, it failed. It failed after 10 years when it became crystal clear that I was a liar and a thief and my wife had no clue that I was embezzling money to maintain a lifestyle. And in fairness to her, when I spoke, she wasn't sure. Was it live or was it Memorex? Did he tell the truth or not? I mean, you know, I've been living for 10 years, this lie. How do I know it's truthful? So I broke trust. Yeah, that's the key word. There's a variety of things that took place that ultimately caused the marriage to fall to pieces. But the reality of it was I broke trust and it was hard to regain that trust. Mm -hmm. However, I am now remarried 24 years. And that marriage was kind of funny because the first date we went on, it was like, you know, dinner in the movies when it was a whole lot cheaper in those days. But the second date, we went out to dinner and I said, look, I need to tell you, I might be going to prison. And she was like, oh, you're so funny. You come up with all this funny stuff. And I was like, no, 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 no. I might be going to prison. <laughs> It's just so funny. I said, I'm serious. She said, what for? I said, well, an embezzlement and tax evasion. And she sat there for a moment, very quiet, and looked at me. She said, well, at least it's not rape or murder. And I thought, you know, there's a possibility here. This is good. That is a good woman right there who can continue having the meal with me and think, okay, it wasn't the worst in the world. And 24 years later, we're happily married. But it is based upon transparency and trust. So my do-over was I broke trust. Now I understand I need to maintain trust in order to be able to have that second chance. So life can give us second chances. We just have to be willing to recognize what did we contribute to the problem in the first place and fix it. And some of that with burnout, I'm going back to that, is if I'm burned out because the company is not in alignment with my values or the expectation or the job is just something that is not fulfilling me, I have to ask, what am I doing to continue staying in this burned out situation? 
Is it a mindset change or is it a physical change? And if I change to what that is more in alignment with me as a human being and what makes me happy? Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up the idea of trust because when you're hired by a company, there is trust that you're going to do the right thing by them because they're paying you to be there. And when you are employed by a company, you trust them to do the right thing by you. And so when trust is broken on either side of that, that can absolutely contribute to some problems. But to your point, if you've made a mistake, you don't have to feel all this shame that leads you to never be able to get over it, right? We all make mistakes. The idea here is to learn and to recover that if you are feeling like you're stuck, you're trapped, you're in an organization that's unethical, you can absolutely change your circumstances and that no matter what, you can always have a second chance or that do-over. So these are all really important, especially for people who have really been caught like you had in a more serious ethical issue. Because, And I'm glad you shared about the suicidal ideation that you experienced because Actually, when I was in, I think, either elementary school or middle school, I had a classmate whose father had a similar issue to yours, and he took his life. Mm-hmm. And the ripple effect of that is beyond what anyone can really imagine. Sure. What it does to the family and to the kids, it's just beyond what you can ever imagine. But I think sometimes we get so caught up in the shame that we want to avoid the notoriety. We want to avoid the consequences. We're looking for that easy out. And I'm so glad that you had that conversation on the phone with the psychiatrist. Yeah. And that conversation changed your life. And that you are here today to help other people avoid those kinds of decisions and lead a more honest life. And I think there's so many other important aspects to your message. So thank you so much for being transparent and being honest and coming forward with your story. I think it's an important one. Well, I appreciate it. And here's the thing. In my worst moment, there were people there, not a lot, but enough that were willing to see the value in me when I couldn't see it in myself. And I can't repay them. It's not like I can give them money or say thank you in a method that really conveys the true feeling of gratitude that I have. The best way I can repay them is to pay it forward and to know that maybe, maybe somebody that hears that will have, it will have an impact in their lives. And I don't need to know who that is. It isn't relevant to me. It's just relevant that the message is reverberating through means like this conversation so that people can recognize they truly are empowered to make decisions and to do things that will create a life that is amazing. Yeah. So Chuck, we're going to have a link to your book for anybody who is interested in reading Second Chances. And I know you also do some speaking on the subject. So if anybody's listening to this and they're dying to have you on their stage, where should they go to learn more? Okay. Well, the easiest thing is it's chuckgallagher.com. Gallagher is G-A-L-L-A-G-H-E-R, but chuckgallagher.com. And through there, you can pick up a copy of the book if you'd like. You know, more importantly, most of the time, I end up having the opportunity to speak with organizations to help, help people understand what are the trigger points 
because as human beings, we have those. We'll all be triggered at some point. But what are the trigger points that can literally cause us to maybe veer off the path that is best for us? And if we can help identify those, interrupt that so that you don't make choices that as I said, end you up in an orange jumpsuit and handcuff, that I think it's been a good day. (laughs) Amazing. So we'll have a link to that website as well. I want to thank you again for being here. And for all you thinkers out there, what did you think of the show? If you are a feeler, how did hearing this make you feel? And for all you doers, what are you going to do based on what you heard today? Now, regardless of what your personality code is, My goal is to spread the word that burnout is a unique experience and by decoding it, you can find solutions that are equally unique to you. Help me spread this message by subscribing to the show on Apple or Spotify and leaving us a review telling us what you think, feel, or do differently because of the show. If you are watching us on YouTube, you can also leave me a comment or questions to answer in future episodes. And please recommend the show to anyone struggling with burnout. If you are ready to take the next step with me, Decode Your Burnout, go to decodeyourburnout.com and I'll see you right back here next week.